0: Anthony's sermon this morning is titled Sanctifying Service. He's asked me in preparation for that to read from the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Jonah 4, verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord. Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry?
1: morning church All right. so if you've been moving along with us in our reading plan throughout the year you're noticing that we are moving into a place that can be a little bit uh, confusing Uh, we gone are the days where we're just in one book reading chapter by chapter as we progress our way through the Old Testament chronologically seeing um, from creation to the birth of Jesus Christ Now we're moving into a time when you're going to bounce around to some of the minor prophets. We're going to get into Isaiah. Later it's going to be into Jeremiah and you're going to be reading sections of the Old Testament to keep yourselves in line chronologically because these prophets were prophesying during the reigns of the kings that we learn about in the Chronicles. I want to give you a quick tip to keep it straight in your mind and then we'll move into what we're going to talk about this morning. And that is this, that there are always most typically three audiences that the prophets are speaking to in the Old Testament. Um, Remember, there are now two nations, not one nation of God. The nation of Israel is divided after Solomon into the southern kingdom, Judah, who, for the most part, try to remain faithful. They last a little bit longer than their northern siblings, Israel, who have evil kings from uh, Jeroboam on, really. And they experience a lot of trouble. So you've got the north... And the south, Israel and Judah, and then there are pagan or Gentile people as well that aren't the nation of God. Um, Just in last week and this week, you're going to get all three of those. Amos is a prophet that was actually born in the south in in Judah, but he prophesies to the north. So when you go and read Amos... You'll hear him criticizing their empty religion because they have ignored social justice. They've ignored the poor and the the marginalized people. And so he preaches to the north uh, against them. Isaiah is a prophet to the south, and he has much of the same, but he sees their idolatry of themselves. They worship the work of their own hands, and he comes after that uh, evil in them. Jonah, who we're going to look at this morning, doesn't preach to the north or the south, He preaches to the capital city of Assyria, Nineveh, that great city, that great enemy of Israel. And so each of these prophets have a message of destruction. So you're going to read them and it's going to sound really similar. What's similar is all people in all places depart from God. And prophets, God raises prophets up and sends them to places to preach to these people to return to God and bring obviously the pending doom if they do not do that. So what I want to encourage you to do is this week, as you read through some of these prophets, take a moment to contemplate the sin that is causing the judgment that's coming upon them. See if you can make some connections to the way that sin looks in our life today. There is plenty for you to digest. But for today, we're not going to focus on the actual prophecy, but actually the prophet. That's really what the book of Jonah is all about. You know, it's really not about the fish. And it's not actually even about the prophecy. Uh, It's not really even about the Ninevites. Um, You'll see that, uh, or even about the prophecy, you'll see actually Jonah goes in. He prophesies destruction. Destruction doesn't even happen. And so the book isn't necessarily about the fish or the Ninevites or the prophecy. The book is really about the prophet. It's about the call that God put on his life to go and to serve in a certain way that he was not so excited about in his service. In fact, we see him run and then he comes back and he offers the service later. But really it's about God calling this person to serve and the trouble that that service puts on his life. And so this morning what I want us to do is look at three things that have to do with Jonah and the idea of service. And let's see if we can learn from him. And we're going to see that there's a pattern of service in Jonah's life. Jonah lives in a way that displays a pattern of service that all of us can fall into. And then we'll see through his life the purpose and the power of service. So let's dig into that together. Let's look at Jonah and let's see what we can learn. First of all, the pattern of service. Jonah's story reveals a very familiar pattern for God's people. In service when we are called to serve God for anyone who really comes to Christ um, you'll see immediately a very similar thing that Jonah saw when he was when the Lord was communicating to him when you come to what God has said to his people what stands out are the verbs that are attached to it you see the very first thing in chapter 1 that God says to Jonah are two things he tells him to arise and then he tells him to go arise and go, those words describe what it's like to relate to God. You see, Christianity and being God's child, being a part of God's family, is not just a thinking man's game. It's not just a philosophy that God calls for us to draw into ourselves, to have our quiet times in the morning, to crawl up into the ivory towers and contemplate life, and just, you know, prophesy about life. But God's word calls us to action in life, to be involved. Service is a massive part of the Christian life. This is not just a philosophical exercise. God is calling us for for us to be engaged in the world. We see this from the very beginning with God. You see, He starts out by creating the world with words. He says, let there be light, and let there be all these other things. Let the water bring forth fish, and let the earth bring forth animals. But then when God makes mankind, He doesn't just operate with His words. God gets a little dirt under His fingernails. He gets His hands into culture, and He shapes and He forms mankind. And then He speaks life into them. I believe that has something to do with what's involved in the life of being God's child today, that we not only speak the Word of God, but we have our hands in the dirt, meaning we get involved in the world. And so um, when service becomes such a prominent thing to a new Christian, there's sort of a pattern that emerges that Jonah reveals um, as we experience the responsibility of serving. If you notice in his life, There's four things that he does in the course of the book. In fact, they're kind of um, divided up by the chapters conveniently. The first thing that Jonah does is he avoids the service. He puts it off. He runs from it. It's a little bit overwhelming, the call to go serve God, um, and especially what God has asked him to do is not something that he's excited about, something that he wants to do. It's a burden to him, and so the way he deals with his burden is he escapes the burden. He avoids it. And then through some difficulty, God gets his attention by shaking his world up a little bit. And in chapter 2, we see that he vows his service. He says, God, I will do this. I make a vow. I'm going to do this. And after he vows the service, he then offers the service. In chapter 3, he actually goes and he does it. You see, he goes into Nineveh. It says it's a three-day journey to go in and out of the city, probably the neighborhoods. And he goes in and he preaches his one-sentence sermon. And then we see at the end of it, he withdraws from his service. Back into the system. You see, this is a typical system of service for those of us that can feel overwhelmed and burdened by offering our lives to God. We kind of press it off for a little bit, keep it at bay, maybe run from it. Maybe find reasons to avoid it, like Jonah did. We, it's, it's convenient that there's a ship available to send him away from it at this moment. But we avoid it. And then usually we, something in our lives, we, we know that we need to be serving, we need to be engaged, shakes us up a little bit. We awaken to the reality that we should be involved. And then we vow that service, and then we offer that service. And then sooner or later, we're burnt out, we're exhausted with service. And we withdraw like Jonah, leaving the city and drawing back out of it. And then you see how the cycle repeats as we withdraw, we avoid, something shakes us up, we vow, we offer, we get exhausted, we withdraw. It continues over and over. And this system of service, does that sound like you ever? You know, the weight of service is kind of on your mind, like I should be doing more, I should be giving more, I should be active more, but maybe I'm not or I'm avoiding it. And then you do it and then you get a little bit maybe frustrated or embittered by it and exhausted with it, and so you just have to draw back from it. That cycle is driven by guilt, and it's gutted of the purpose of of service. This system is also full of us who are burdened down with doing all of, quote, God's work, but are completely removed from God's primary work. You see, God's primary work in the world, the, the, the entire system, what God is trying to accomplish in the world is to take people who are lost and sinful and restore them to the image of Jesus Christ, to bring them back to the godly nature that's inside of them that we were born with, that who we are, that we were born in the image of God, that we're to be like God. And God's primary work in the world in sending Jesus Christ was not just to forgive us of our sins but to empower us to become like God again. And service that is just so enraptured with doing God's works, apart from God's work of transformation, gets in the path of avoidance, vow, offer, and exhaustion. That cycle. And it doesn't stop. You see, without purpose behind all of our doing for God, what we'll do is just perform acts of service, but we never become an actual servant. There's a major difference, you know, between doing acts of service and actually becoming a servant. You see, acts of service, if you do acts of service, the power and the control of that still lies with the person. I decide who gets my service, when they get my service, how much of my service, and when I'm done giving it to them. I'll give you acts of service. But what God has called us is not just to give acts of service, but to become, in our identity, a servant, available. You see, God's Word not only dictates to us things to do, but its true intention is really to transform us, to change us. Constitutionally, from the inside out, have our fiber be different. And that's what he's wanting to do. So how does service do this? You see, just working for God apart from his purpose will leave you dry, exhausted, and frustrated. And Many Christians I come in contact with experience this cycle that Jonah went through where you kind of put service off, then you feel guilty, so you vow to do service, and then you offer your service, then you're frustrated by it. You're exhausted with it. Well, how does service really actually enhance the purpose of God to make you Christ-like? Well, you got to see the purpose of it. You see, the service God called for from Jonah did two things to Jonah's life. It did two things. The first thing it did was it revealed Jonah's heart to him. You see the scripture that Tim read for us in chapter four. uh, After Jonah had performed the service, and he knew, he just knew that God was going to be merciful to them, which is funny because he actually prophesied that in 40 days, this, this city was going to be destroyed. But he just knew that God was going to be merciful to them. And so he withdraws out to the country, builds a little shack, and he sits there for the 40 days. And he's waiting to see them destroyed, knowing that they're not going to be. Day after day, he's watching. You know, no fire, no smoke, no sulfur rain coming down. Nothing yet. Nothing. And as he's growing in his frustration... Wanting Nineveh to be destroyed, his prayer, his service, is starting to reveal his heart to himself. You see, we find out really why, why Jonah ran. He ran because he knew the character of God. Slow to anger, abounding in love, gracious, merciful. He knew it. And he said, God, I knew that you were going to do this. That's why I ran because I didn't want these Ninevites to have that from you. You see, Nineveh was his enemy. Um, Jonah was a prophet in the country of Israel, which was the northern part of God's kingdom. And Assyria, the Syrian empire, was the great enemy to Israel. In fact, they suppressed them constantly. The kings that led right up to Jonah's life were constantly under the suppression of the Syrian government, of the Syrian world. In fact, it would be just a little while longer that actually Syria would come and completely rampage all of Israel. Jonah despised the Syrians. Understandably so. Hated them. Did not want them to have any taste of the mercy and grace of God. And so service oftentimes puts us into this crossroad where not only we are you know, maybe taking care of and doing things for people we care about, but service demands of us to care for those that might frustrate us, to reach out to those that might offend us, to care for those that, as Jesus said, might actually be our enemies. That's the call of Christianity, is that we serve without any regard of who we're serving. That's the call. And so here's what service did. Service revealed to Jonah that his heart was not yet the same as God's heart. Did you hear the words in his prayer? He said, God, I personally knew that you were this way. He didn't say, hey, God, we share in our like-mindedness with mercy and graciousness. We share in a like-mindedness with compassion and slow to anger and full of love for other people. He didn't didn't share any of that character or nature with God. You see, what service was doing was putting the heat on Jonah that brought to the surface that his heart was different than God's heart. That's the powerful work of service that it will do to you as well. When you reach out and you begin to serve those people that might frustrate anger and bother you. It's going to bring to the surface the impurities, as Peter said, like gold tried in fire. It's going to bring that to the surface and reveal to you the places in your heart where you're still not like God. And service is the pathway to that. You will not be refined in a fire sitting in your quiet little space, having a quiet little devotional time with God, with your quiet little prayer, without going out into the world and serving people that are not like you. We won't have that experience. And so, service was revealing to Jonah that his heart was not like God, but it also didn't just reveal his heart, it refined his heart. You see, service was the perfect parable for Jonah to understand how God had actually related to him. Isn't it interesting? I don't know the time between the fish and the prayer, you know, chapter two to chapter four, but literally, Jonah was, let's say, a month removed from being inside of a fish, ready to die, and then graciously had his life spared. In his prayer in chapter 2, he's fully acknowledging all of the characteristics of God and fully enjoying those characteristics. Then he comes to Nineveh just maybe like a month or so later, preaches, and is frustrated by those characteristics. Do you see what serving is doing to Jonah? It's revealing that he enjoys God when God is doing something for him, but he doesn't enjoy God when God is doing something for one of his enemies. And service becomes the parable for Jonah to understand God greater. And so what God does is, in Jonah's frustration, and there's some irony to this, I think. He's out there in the heat, mad. And God grows this plant overnight, and it causes shade it must have worked what's interesting there's this is a whole other parallel but jonah builds his own shack and it's not doing the job it's not keeping him cool and god built you know grows this plant it must be something huge right this leaf is covering his head and jonah is enjoying the comfort and the grace and the shade of this plant and the very next day a worm destroys the plant now if you read in the esv you'll see something very careful i don't have time to chase it this morning but in chapter at the end of chapter 1 it says that God appropriated the whale for Jonah and in chapter 4 it says that God also appointed or appropriated the plant and he appointed the worm all three of those God was doing so the plant gave Jonah shade but then the shade is destroyed but Nineveh is saved and so a plant being destroyed but a nation being saved, both angered Jonah to the point where he wanted to die. Think about that. A plant is destroyed, but a nation is saved, and Jonah's mad, and he's ready to die. Interesting, right? Why? What God is doing in refining Jonah's heart is this. He's revealing to Jonah the source of both his anger and his pleasure. And this is what service will do to you as well. You see, the source of Jonah's joy, the source of his pleasure, and the source of his anger is himself. Why was he mad that the plant was destroyed? Because he was enjoying the shade of that plant. Why was he mad that Nineveh was spared? Because he would enjoy the destruction of Nineveh. Do you see what I'm getting at? The root of all of Jonah's joy is himself. Now here's what God is going to do with that, because this is beauty, beautiful. Jonah is the center of his own joy, not the character of who God is, not the person of God. God in Jonah's life is not the source of his joy. He enjoys benefiting from God, but God is not his joy. He's his own joy. And so when things happen to him that he likes, he has joy. But when things happen to him that he doesn't like, he doesn't have joy. That's exhausting. And that's how so many people live, with themselves as the center of their own joy. So when good things happen, they have joy. when bad things happen, they don't have joy. What God is doing to Jonah through service is refining his heart to a joy that never changes. A joy that is stable. A joy that you can always rely on. What he's doing is making himself the center of Jonah's joy. You see, service was refining his heart to the only joy that will not disappoint him. And that's what service is calling for you and for me to do as well. But why does service do this, right? Okay, so if that's the purpose of service, to transform us into the image of God to reveal our heart where we're not like God still and refine our heart to have God as our source of all joy in this life so that we have stability in the nature of God. How does service actually do this? Let's look at the power of service. You see, before this call to service, Jonah lived and he worked in Israel. That's where he lived and that's where he worked. He was with his people. He was with people who thought like him who acted like him, who shared the same customs as him, who behaved like him, who valued what he valued, who worshiped the same way he worshiped. He was with people who were just like him. And God called him out of himself in service. You see, if Jonah never left where he was, he would have never been called outside of himself. That's what service does. Service calls you out of the comfort of people And places that look and think and act just like you think. That constantly affirm yourself as the center of your own joy. Service calls you out of that. Service says that you no longer are master of your life and your schedule. You're no longer the center of your universe. Service calls you out of that. And so the great lie the world operates under is that life and joy come from yourself. You see, that's actually the lie of the world. That's the system that the world operates under. And if this were true, right, let's just chase this thought for a minute. That if all joy and all pleasure could be created by you, could be self-generated, that would mean that selfish, greedy, bitter, revenge-filled, slandering people would be the happiest people in the world. If you could self-generate joy, then selfishness, greed, bitterness, unforgiveness would produce happiness and joy. Have you spent any time with people like that? Have you been a person like that? Are you right now a person like that? The message is you cannot self-generate joy. You can't. You cannot self-create joy. Joy is a byproduct, a gift of finally coming out of yourself, getting over yourself, forgetting yourself. Service is the gateway to get out of your way, to get out of yourself. And the power of service is this. The power of service is in the cost of service. You see, Jonah's service cost him. He wanted Nineveh to experience judgment. And for him to do this service, he would have to absorb the cost of Nineveh not getting judgment. So it cost him something. Service will cost you. Visiting somebody who is sick, who is elderly, or a widow is going to cost you time, energy, maybe money. Volunteering your time in our community with something like Tyler's Light to fight this terrible drug problem we have in our community or going to the Pregnancy Health Decision Center and giving your time to those people that are contemplating abortion or keeping a baby, is going to cost you something. Calling somebody who is difficult but is hurting, taking a long way to go visit somebody that is frustrating to you but is hurting, is going to be a cost that you have to absorb. But the cost of service comes from this that you are extending access to joy, of joy to other people that's the cost that you are providing access of joy to somebody else and here's what the cost quickly does when you experience the cost in service the cost quickly reveals whose capital you're really spending this is the beauty the power of service okay you got to get this point the cost of service will reveal quickly to you whose capital you're actually spending You see, if you're spending your own capital, meaning that I self-generate my own joy, that, that joy for me comes from being selfish and being all about me, there's going to be a cost of service and you're going to wear out and spend all of your capital and be broke and exhausted and burn out if you spend your own capital, if you live out of your own joy. But if you spend God's capital, meaning that your joy comes from being like God, that your joy comes from the character of who God is, that you just can't believe how merciful and grace-filled and pleasant He is. If that's where your joy comes from, you'll find the capital to spend is abundant, but it's also proportionate, that it teaches you and trains you, that it allows you to say no to certain people when you're being used, and it allows you to say yes to people who are hurting but also difficult to you. And you'll find, as Peter said in 1 Peter 4, that if anyone serves, let him serve out of the strength that God provides. You see, what service does quickly is reveals to you whose capital you really spend. And the capital is you deciding where you get your joy. So here's the power. God says, I want you to go, I want you to serve, and when you burn out, because you will, because we all try to self-generate our own joy, when you burn out, Look deep into yourself, reflect, and find out that the source of your joy is still you. Repent of that. Confess it to God. To Confess to God that His character and His person is not your joy yet, and ask Him to change that. You see, the question I kept coming back to this week was, what made this so hard for Jonah? Why was he so frustrated? What made this difficult for him? Side note is, I believe that he got it because no one would have wrote this book except Jonah. No one would have had access to this information about his life except it be Jonah. And I think no one could be comfortable enough in their own skin to tell this kind of truth about themselves unless they finally got it and wanted, it to share it, wanted to share it with somebody else. But what made it so hard for Jonah to get it? What makes it so hard for us? Well, the object of Jonah's lesson of grace was a plant and not a person. It was this plant with a leaf that provided him shade. And what we learn from Jonah, what we learn from the New Testament especially, is that there would be a person, not just a plant, who would come and make clear for all generations the character that Jonah spoke about. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love. You see, this person would reveal that our self-centeredness not only offends a holy God who created us to live in gratitude to Him, but also robs us of our joy. Our self-centeredness does that. And the only wisdom, and only the wisdom of God, could both solve our offense to our Creator and the robbing of our own joy of ourselves. And He did that through the life of Jesus Christ. At the cross, He not only satisfied the wrath of God, but demonstrated that somebody loves you more than you, and you should come out of yourself and trust Him. You see, His service would reveal his heart. Not to himself. Jesus already knew his heart. But his service revealed his heart to you. His service revealed the character of God fully. He was like Jonah. He was sent to a wicked people. But this time, his message was not against those people, but his life was for those people. Like Jonah, he would endure a storm and be cast off. Like Jonah, he would be swallowed for three days, and he would return with a message of salvation. And like Jonah... He would go out of the city, but this time, not like Jonah. He didn't come out of the city to sit and wait for her destruction. You see, the Bible says Jesus went out of the city bearing our reproach. He went out of the city not to condemn, but to be crushed for us in our place. And this is the one that came and said, hey, I'm the source of life. I've come to give you fullness of life, fullness of joy and if you'll base your life on my identity, who I am, to you, and what that means about your life, you'll understand that I came to serve and not be served, but you'll finally understand my call to you to finally come and serve. You see, when we look at the service of Jesus Christ, it will move us out into a world that is different than us, that challenges us. And we'll see that in becoming a servant like Jesus, being motivated by Him, it not only refines our joy to something that's stable, it transforms our character into the image of Christ. And at the cross of Calvary, you see the greatest demonstration of service, a greater than Jonah came, buried for three days, resurrected, to tell us that there's a better way to live. We're here to help you. If you need help with that, you can come as we stand and sing.